Second chances. Did you ever get one? Did you ever need one? Do we need them all the time? Yes, we do. How about young, violent, sexual offenders, drug abusers under the age of 18 in juvenile detention center? Do they get one? They better. They're young people. Second chances of what we're going to talk about next. Ron Stoller and Megan Milliken of the Medina County Juvenile Detention Center. The heat is on. Let's get cooking. This is Purpose Under Pressure, sharing stories of why we're here, why we're what we're doing here, why we're trying to get accomplished, what we're trying to get accomplished, and the struggles that come about uh, that try to throw us off course. If you like this show enough, uh, to come back and listen every so often. Can you do me a favor? Maybe hit that follow button, subscribe, maybe tell a friend, leave a review, anything that can let other people know that we're here too, because that's what this is all about is helping everyone else as well. So thank you for doing that. Purpose Under Pressure is brought to you in partnership with Sandler by the Ruby Group, serving sales professionals nationwide from their Akron and Columbus, Ohio, and Jacksonville, Florida locations. If you run an organization that relies on sales and who doesn't, if you're in business, then you need to do it right. You need to do it on purpose and you need to do it with something that says something about your character. That's what Sandler by the Ruby Group does. Check them out online at the rubygroup.sandler.com. I am thrilled to welcome to our show today our guests who are going to talk a little bit about their purpose, but also other purpose and a community driven purpose. And I'm excited to share this special story with you. Ron Stoller is the current and retiring. And maybe by the time you see this show, retired superintendent at Medina County Juvenile Detention Center. Megan Milliken is the current co-superintendent and taken over and she's next in line. And this show is not so much about them as it is about what they do. And so welcome to Purpose Under Pressure, Ron and Malcolm. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for coming. I appreciate your, your taking the time to talk about this. What I want to talk about is these young people, you at your juvenile detention center serve kids, young people that are violent offenders, have had a history of trauma and violence, and this is a bad deal. This is jail, right? And yet, uh, and yet they're kids. And I'd like to, and I believe God doesn't make junk. And so these kids have something to offer. And so where do we find the fine line? That's what this is about. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you're trying to do and what you're doing there at the Juvenile Detention Center in Medina County? Do you want to, Megan? Or no, you? you started All right. So you should. All right. You start us off. Yeah. So our philosophy here is uh, we have no interest whatsoever in simply housing kids. Why would we not do our best to help them? So. We, in our building, in uh, conjunction with our juvenile court, take a holistic approach, see what we can do to get our kids' lives turned around. Uh, the vast majority of the kids that uh, find themselves in our building truly are not bad kids. They've had difficult uh, upbringings. Their home lives are very challenging, dysfunctional. And so uh, they've just made bad decisions for the most part. So our goal uh, and what we strive to do is to help them make better decisions. But that's where purpose comes in, right? Because, and we're not going to knock anybody else. Programs are in place to do things, but you're doing it differently, right? You said you have no interest in just housing. How is this typically seen? What's happening in the community that, I mean, is it, hey, these guys are, they made their own decisions, washing my hands of these kids and away they go? Or what are you doing differently? I would say we have made it an intentional goal to partner with 
our community as much as we can. And in doing that over the years, we found that there are more people, truly more people, more organizations out there who want to help, that want to come in here and help us, help our kids, than we can actually keep up with, which is a great problem to have. Uh, so there are a good number of people who are on the same page as us, you. Uh, we don't see these kids as throwaways. We want them to have a positive, <clears throat> excuse me, productive future uh, because they're going to be in our communities anyway. Yeah. And, and what's the what's the what's the other side? If if the, let's set this up properly, if this doesn't go well, and we do wash our hands of them, what's the future look like for these kids? I think that's where this real and for the community. I think that's where this real purpose kits in. What are we trying to stop from happening? Yeah, we want to stop the behaviors that got them in our building in the first place. We do not want them graduating to the adult correctional system. Uh, that is our overarching goal. We want them to have a positive, solid quality of life where they realize that they have value and that their future doesn't have to be a life of incarceration. And I want to set it up a little bit deeper as we go into the pressures that you overcome. These kids are in this facility for what purpose? What did they do? What's Give me a picture of what kind of kids we're talking about, or at least what kinds of, of, of things they've done to land themselves here. Yeah, yeah so we have um, different type of offenders for maximum security facilities. So we have kids who have had low-level offenses. They've gone through the court system, and they've been placed on probation. So they break that probation and they'll come here. And then we have other kids who get arrested out in the community for domestic violence cases, assault, sometimes attempted murder or murder charges. So we have, we see all levels of offenses here. Okay. And, and how many kids, how much room do you have for kids there? We hold 30 kids, male and females. About what age typically? Typically anywhere between 14 and 16, but we will hold 11 all the way up to the age of 21. Yeah. Yeah. And so what are the, what, what other hurdles? Are there community hurdles? Are there governmental hurdles? Are there hurdles in the, in the ways you deal with the kids themselves? When you're at the end of the day, when you're trying to get things done, what's holding you back? Let's talk about the pressures that get in the way. I would say, and feel free to agree or disagree, Megan, but I would say their family, the kids' families. Uh, at some point, most of them, get released and they go back in to that same situation who created who they've become. So it's an uphill battle. Mm. Uh, fortunately, as I already said, our juvenile court takes a holistic approach. So they involve as much as they can other family members uh, to get our kids uh, the help that they need. But uh, I think that's the, the best answer that I have for you right now. What happens? What, what, what can you give? You know, someone told me once, Brian, you don't understand what it looks like on the other side. You, you're, you're, you're living in an upscale community and you're got a job and you're taking care of everything's good in your life. You're not going to go to jail. Everything's fine. You don't understand what it looks like on the other side. And that was a true story. I'll never forget it. And he was true. He was right. Paint me a picture of the lives that these kids are living in that end up with them with you and what you're trying to keep them from coming back to. I think we have a wide variety of kids here. We have, you know, our 10% of kids who have supportive families and their parents want them to also be on the right track. We have that. And then we have the other 90% of our kids whose 
parents are more interested in themselves than their kids, or they don't have the means to help their kids in the way they probably need to be helped. So at times we have kids who have had traumatic childhood, something most of us would never experience in our lives. And when I say that, I mean, they've been sexually assaulted in some way, shape or form by a family member, somebody that's not a family member, and they have a lot of trauma in their life. And then their family doesn't help in that way. And so they just start down a path of bad choices that then ends up here. And they're angry. Angry. A lot of them turn to drugs and alcohol to cope. You, you used the word affluent uh, a minute or two ago. And that reminded me of uh, a gentleman who is on our uh, advisory uh, committee who would tell you he lives in an affluent area of Medina County. And several years ago, he was doing a ride along with the sheriff's uh, office, one of their deputies, and they got a call to a house, a home in his neighborhood for a young man who I don't remember what the young man had done, but uh, our advisory member said it was just the biggest eye opener for him. He never would have believed that what was going on in that house would go go on in uh, a neighborhood. And it wasn't from an arrogant uh, mindset or approach. So don't misunderstand. He was just naive uh, right. to things could happen anywhere. Well, it's, it's that you don't know it, you don't see it, and you don't believe it. Like, you don't live your life that way, and how could it be possible that someone else could? And then if you watch a movie, it's just one thing on a movie, and it's fake. And, and But it's real, and, and these drugs and, and the abuse and, and uh, the lack of caring that is going on with these kids. And so these young people end up with you. Now what? Because I've got to imagine that they are angry and giving up hope and not caring and just going to, you know, maybe rule the roost for a little while and cause some trouble. I mean, what you're trying to help them, they probably don't want help that on day one. What? It, tell me a little bit about those pressures. Yeah, that's, you're spot on. A lot of them don't want help. Um, so part of our job is to give them hope. And we've got uh, other individuals here. We've got a couple of mental health clinicians that help uh, our staff with that. I just met uh, a week ago today with a young lady who had been in our building a handful of times several years ago. She's now around 25 years old, lives uh, out of state, but she contacted me and said she was going to be in Medina for one day and she wanted to know if she could meet with me. And so I met with her and uh, I asked her, uh, and I'm not bringing this up because I want any credit. It's just an example of uh, trying to give kids hope. I asked her what it was that sparked her uh, to get her life turned around. And she said, you, and she pointed at me, she said, you were the first person to tell me that you believed in me. See? Wow. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's one, right? That's one out of how, how many you have to keep going. Megan, is it sometimes hard to kind of swing your feet out of bed and put them on the floor and go to work every morning, knowing that not every situation is going to be just like the one Ron just explained? It can be very difficult at times because sometimes you feel like you are talking till you're blue in the face. Yeah. Just kind of 
trying to encourage them to make better choices and that this is not the end. Your future is ahead of you. This is just a small snippet in time. And if you start to make those right choices now or better positive choices, your life can look much different. It's hard to get them to see that because most teenagers just see, you know, five feet in front of in front of their face. So um, it can be difficult. But when you hear the rewarding stories or a kid shows up in our front lobby who had been here two years prior and says, you're my family, uh, that that touches deep in your so- in your soul. So um, it that keeps you going, I think. You know, I, I want to kind of go back to something you said, Ron, about um, we're not a, a we're just, it's not just daycare or housing, I think you mentioned. Because I, you and I talked a long time ago, it feels like a long time ago, a couple of years ago, about right. the idea that this is kind of a, a revolutionary program or an innovative program. Not every juvenile detention facility in the state or the country is doing this. In fact, it's rare. And, and that many, if not juvenile, but also even adult detention facilities, those kind of places, it's just look, you're, here's your bar. Look at your bar. We'll bring you f- food three times a day and you've made your choices. That's the way it is most of the time. And yet these are kids. And if I'm wrong, you let me know. But I, I have this feeling that you're, you guys are doing something different here. I don't understand how you give up on these kids. And I don't understand sometimes how you guys are able to keep going when the kids give up on you. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It's a lot to unravel. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't. Wanna... I think I got up on my soapbox there a little bit. I, I think I'm most interested in in how, why you're different, and why isn't everyone doing it like you? Uh okay. So I don't want to say that other facilities don't care because we know they do. Uh, Megan and I know many around the state of Ohio for sure. Um, we've had some comments uh, about what we do because we do a lot, uh, we we feel, and we've been asked, but isn't that a lot of work? Doesn't that take a lot of time? The answer is yes, yes. And it seems that others maybe just aren't there, at least not yet, where they want to spend the amount of time and effort that that we do here. And and I, I, don't want that to come across as we're all that we're not, we're not, we just don't know any better and we, we care. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's that they don't do it. I think when I mentioned innovation, I think you're just doing something differently. And, and is it, is it catching on a little bit when people hear about what's going on here and, and see what you're doing and, and they say, Hey, wow, you guys are really doing it. Is it that hard? Are they trying to implement that too? I mean, 20 years from now, will we see more of this type of an approach across the board? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a little bit it's catching on, um, at least here in Ohio. Uh, I would like to see it go at a faster rate than it's going. Uh, but I think so, you know, in talking to other, uh, facilities around the state, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that we have made, uh, made it very intentional to partner with our community and that they've been very supportive. And uh, there are a couple of others that are doing that as well. Um, probably have a ways to go yet, but at least they're they're willing to get going on it, and that's great. Good, and and thank you for kind of starting the ball rolling on this. I, I, you're such a humble person, Ron. But I, I've told you many times, you're doing more than you realize, and and I think it's it's uh, it's amazing. I'm interested. 
I'm really interested in this. I think you guys said, Megan, I asked you once how long these kids are there. Is it a couple weeks typically? It's anywhere between 14 and 21 days on an average. The longest they can stay is up to 90 days per their charge. Yeah. So maximum you've got access to them for 90 days. Yes. Minimum, maybe a few days, but typically mm -hmm. two to three weeks. Now, these Correct. kids are coming from this environment we've already discussed. We don't have to reset it so much, but it's a bad deal. They end up in juvenile detention. That's a bad deal for them. They don't have any real hope on what to do next. They just want to get out. And here come Ron and Megan and the team. What's day one look like? And what's day 21 look like? And what has to happen in between that short period of time for you guys to make the difference that you're talking about making? Yeah, so day one, like I think we already said, they're usually pretty angry or upset that they're here, especially if it's their first time here. They're scared, don't know what to expect. And then by about day three or four, they seem to understand that we are here to help them. And we have a lot of support and programs in place to try to help them. They so might still week, be angry. Realizing, within a week, they're realizing, hey, this is different here. Maybe I ought to pay attention. I would think so. I think so, yes. So yes. what you're saying then is that they're not so deeply entrenched in who they are that it's if we can get to these kids young and take care take an interest in their lives, we can make a pretty fast difference, can't we? Yes, I think so. They're still you can put an impression on them to help them change their way of thinking. I have a stack of cards and letters from kids who have spent time with us that they mail in and say thank you. I've got art here in my office that kids have painted as thank yous for just, again, encouraging them, listening to them. Um, we've had uh, kids stop in in the past just to visit and thank us or call in uh, just out of the blue, seemingly wanting to know if a particular officer is here or a particular other staff member uh, just to say thanks. So that's great. One of the biggest problems we have as managers and leaders is sometimes we're not focusing on leading and we end up doing it for our sales team. How do we coach our people to help them figure out what self-limiting belief that they have that's holding them back from achieving the levels of success that they know they're capable of? Help them flush out what we call their own head trash, that thing that's holding them back. So work with your team, lead by example, watch your team achieve greater levels of success and watch your team grow and more importantly watch your company and your business grow it's really making a difference do you find that they define themselves by their actions or that community puts that label on them because of their actions because that's a big pressure when they're trying to accomplish what they're made to do are they their biggest hurdle or is it the community and their family that just keep kind of pinning them down because they're offenders? I would say that they are probably their biggest hurdle and they, in the very beginning, probably believe the community is against them. But I think because we have so many volunteers who from the community who want to come in and do presentations and help them, they realize that the community is not against them and they want to help them. See, isn't that amazing? If I mean, at this young age, if you think about it, like with a baby, babies know nothing and every day is a brand new life to them. Their whole life is one day long and then it's two and then it's three. And here, here I am and Ron, we're, we're, we're older a little bit. I'm not sure which one of us is older, but let's assume we're both in our mid fifties. Every day isn't that big a deal. We've already entrenched it, but these are young kids and, and, and second chances 
if we will give them, can can make a big difference at this stage of their lives, can it? Oh, we believe so, yeah. Um, you know, I think we talked. Uh, we believe in second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Um, yeah, because yeah, they deserve it. These young guys, deserve, yeah. young guys and girls, they deserve these shots. Their lives aren't mm-hmm. over yet. Right. Yeah, I would, if I had been in some of the situations that our kids have grown up in, I would want someone to give me multiple chances. Yeah. I, I would want someone to put effort into me. Yeah. And someone did along the way and you're doing it now. And that leads me to my last, next question, the, your team. I know you're always trying to hire corrections officers and people to come in and, and be a part of what you're doing, yet you're doing something that requires a lot of caring and a lot of uh, attention to, to each, you know, you're not just slamming doors and enforcing things requires a certain type of person. How do you, how do you generate buy-in from your team to do this very difficult, um, hard job? What's a, what's, what's it like to be like a corrections officer that is working with these kids on a, in a daily basis? Do you want to try that? Uh, do I want to try that? Uh, I think that it's not easy, is it? <laughs> it's not, no. Um, because I have been a corrections officer and I've seen one way of trying to do the job every day. And it can be difficult because they, the kids like to back talk or think that they know more than you do. That can be difficult on a day-to-day basis. But at the end of the day, I think you realize that they're teenagers who don't have the support that you did as a kid. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people I think could end up on the same path as some of these kids, but they had somebody stand up and support them in a way that these kids don't have that support. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, yeah, what kind of can... qualities does someone need to have if, if they're coming to work for you, what do they need to know about this, this job? Like what are you looking for and how do you build that team? Well, I think in the correctional setting, you're looking for somebody who doesn't mind a routine because we do the same thing kind of every day, just with different kids, somebody who can wear multiple hats at a time, because at times you're an authority figure. Other times you're just there to listen and let the kids be heard, but you're also an enforcer. You're enforcing rules, Mm -hmm. but you're also trying to encourage them at the same time. So it's definitely a fine line. It's not for everybody. You're really looking for special people who want to make a difference in a kid's life, but knows that at times it's going to be hard and it's going to be rough. You're dealing with some kids with a lot of traumatic uh, past in their lives. We're looking for positive role models for sure. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it, that's a pressure, isn't it? It's, it's a pressure against your purpose where you've got room to take care of kids, but if you're not staffed, I mean, this is happening all over the the nation. It's hard to staff up. It's hard to get people enough. I th- you guys are having trouble. I think we were talking about having enough people to be able to serve enough kids. And so that is a pressure. So you are hiring in case anyone's listening or knows somebody that's interested in this kind of work, they would go to your website or to apply. Would th- would that be right? Yes. Yep. Okay. And, and you would just talk to them and see if it's a fit. And so that's good. I'm interested in this last question before we wrap up. I don't know if you know, my wife works and is a social worker and she works with, with these kids. She wouldn't like me to say she's a social worker. It's a different title. But anyway, it's enough for now. She works with these younger kids. They're, uh, you know, third grade, second grade. And, and anyway, 
it feels like things are getting worse. <laughs> now, I, I know that's a negative way to look at life, but it feels like the problems are getting stronger, the, the issues are getting, the drugs are getting harder, the, the abuse is getting harder. It, it's like, it feels like, and more, there's more of it. At least it feels that way to me. Are you seeing that too? And if so, what's the future look like? And what's, what's next on the horizon? What are you going to have to overcome to be able to continue to uh, address these needs that you're trying to address? I, I think that's an accurate assessment um, that things are getting worse. I mean, I've been here for 18 years and I have seen an increase in the severity of crimes that the kids are admitting, uh, committing, as well as them starting at younger and younger ages, uh, which of course is terribly sad. Who wants that? Hopefully no one. Uh, the uh, I don't know that we have the answer. Uh, I would tell you this. Uh, a few years ago, our government did a 10-year, approximately $10 million study on what are the biggest, what is the biggest challenge that teens face today? They could have saved 10 years and $10 million if they'd asked anyone in the juvenile justice system because they found out what we already know. It was the breakdown of the family. Number one, far ahead of anything else uh, that the, the kids, the, the, of the challenges that our kids face these days. Um, so, I think it comes down to what we were already talking about here. Uh, and Megan mentioned it, and maybe you did too uh, earlier, Brian. A lot of kids that come in here look at us as their family, which is fine. We'll, we'll take it. Um, and they've told us that. I had a, uh, one of our kids two weeks ago uh, tell me that. She intentionally violated her probation to come in here over Thanksgiving because she said it was better to be here than her home life. Now. I don't know if that's true or not, but certainly that's the way she felt. But she knew and knows that we actually care about uh, our kids. So maybe that's too long of an answer to say we want people who work here who actually truly do care about the kids and their futures, that it's not just a job. It's not a, this should not be a paycheck based job. Not that probably any should, but certainly not something like this. No, it's way too important. It has too much care and mission and and uh, and, and passion involved, right? To, to make a difference. Yeah. When you guys yeah. don't get it done, these kids are the are the the bad sides on the other. So, hey, Ron, real quick, uh, you're leaving. You're retiring. Congratulations for everything that you've accomplished in all of your different facets of Thank life. You. And I know that's many. And and uh, we've talked about that in different ways before. What will you remember most? What are you most proud of? And what do you want people what do you hope people think about the work that you did over your career at the Juvenile Detention Center and in other ways? Okay. I think what I'll miss most is two things, and they, they're probably tied for first place. So one is, and I just mentioned this, I, I think, yesterday. Uh, I will miss meeting and getting to know a lot of the kids that come through our building because so many of them are actually so cool, um, so intelligent. Some of them wise beyond their years, but again, poor home lives. Uh, and secondly, I think the level of quality of the people I've gotten to work with, uh, not only here, but at my previous career at the police department, um, as a police officer, 
in getting to help people. Uh, it's kind of corny, but I've always remembered this, especially when you go into law enforcement, which was what I did before coming here. I was asked, why do you want to be a police officer? And that's a common question to most any police applicant. And almost all of the applicants say, I want to help people. Um, and I, I think by and large, that's pretty much true. I think most do. Uh, for me, I loved helping people, still do. I used to be pretty much adults. My last 18 years, it's been pretty much kids. Uh, so I've had a good balance, I think, of that. Uh, and it's been very rewarding. You know, I'll give you this, Ron. I've done this episode now. So that's a lifetime that you've learned that in, that people want to help people. I've done this show 40 sometimes. And when I ask people what their purpose is, it's every time. I mean, every time, if you go back to all the episodes, I just want to help people. I want to make a difference in people's lives. I want to do something good, right? And I, I, I try to pin a little bit deeper because I think that I've learned now that's everyone's, that might just be it. Like, what's the meaning of life? That might just be it. I want to help people. And to take the opportunity to do it, I think your purpose comes in where you can specifically do it, where you can use that needlepoint pin and go, I'm going to make a change here. And I think that's what you've done in your life. And I, and I congratulate you for it. And I wish you uh, amazing things moving forward. Megan, you're next. You're going to do just as well. Any pressure there? There is. I mean, he uh, <laughs> knocked the door wide open. So um, he made it a little bit easier for me, I think. But I look forward to carrying on the legacy that he's already started here and being able to continue making a change in these kids' lives. And hopefully inspiring them to want to do better and be productive. So I think we mentioned this before. I can't remember if we did. So let's do it again. If someone wanted to work with you, join the team, maybe volunteer, maybe be a part of in some way, some organization, whatever, how would they reach out to you and get in touch with you and, and uh, knock around a couple of ideas? Yeah, they could go to our website if they wanted to apply for a job or they can call into the facility and we're 24 seven. So somebody will direct them in the right direction. Tremendous. That's Ron Stoller and Megan Milliken at the Medina County Juvenile Detention Center. I want to say this. I, I don't think people, I wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit sometimes, and I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that I have a special passion for young people. I've served on school boards and I've worked in career education. And I, I just, I think that's where it's at. I think us old folks missed it somewhere along the way every time, no matter what. And it's for the young people to come up and take over. And I, I just really love it when that happens well. And I just thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, and you and everyone else that does what you do in this way. Uh, because these kids do matter and it does make a difference what you do. And it's just amazing that you're able to impact those lives in that way. So congratulations and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're glad we are able to do what we do. Thanks. Ron Stoller, Megan Milliken, the Medina County Juvenile Detention Center. And man, they are making a difference there and, and, and changing lives one step at a time. It is not easy. It is hard. That is purpose under pressure. But uh, thank God they're getting it done. And I appreciate them being a guest on Purpose Under Pressure. It's brought to you by Sandler by the Ruby Group. Sellers are under pressure to perform and Sandler helps you to succeed on purpose. So check them out at Sandler. Uh, what is it again? The Ruby Group Sandler. I've got it memorized. You'll find all past episodes of Purpose Under Pressure at brianmediastrategies.com slash podcast and wherever you stream your podcasts. We do this every week and we'll see you next time on Purpose.